So in the prayer meeting, can you fix it? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm struggling a little bit. Um, so in the prayer meeting, um, it, was, it was great, actually. Um, there's something about a prayer meeting where the same word comes through from multiple people. Multiple people have the same thing on their heart. And uh, Matt led the prayer meeting, and he spoke about... Let me just put my timer on. He didn't speak about putting his timer on. But he spoke about being... Uh, awakened, right, about being awakened to the things of God, or not sleeping in the things of God, and being, uh, yeah, uh, being in the light, living in the light, and uh, man, and then Cleone came forward and shared that thing about not getting comfortable, and not doing the same thing, and, and not just coming here and expecting a program, and uh, yeah, so, and that, that was also interesting, I was like, yeah, God, I feel like you're saying something here, like we could just come on a Sunday and do church, and then we can all go home, and home is cool, and it's warm, and it's comfortable, and, and it's dark, because <laughs> ESCOM keeps cutting us off. And then, um, while I was just sitting in worship, I just felt, well, I don't know if, if, if me being comfortable means that I should preach the sermon that I prepared for tonight, which, as a preacher, is quite scary, because I've spent a lot of time preparing it. Uh, you can ask Haka, I kept asking her the whole weekend, like, is it, is it right, is it right, does it make sense, can you read it again, is it cool, like, and often, often what God does is if, I, if I'm working on a sermon, and I have an uneasiness about it, not that it's theologically wrong or anything, it's, I make sure I'm theologically correct, but um, I have an uneasiness, like, should I share this, is this what is on the heart of God for the church, or is it what he's saying to me? Now, <laughs> I feel that in some way what he was saying was to me, and that's cool, because I, I wrote a sermon to myself, and then I, I spent the whole week digesting it and thinking it through and going, that's amazing, and I feel encouraged by my own sermon, but I wrote the sermon for myself, and maybe not for you, so you'll never get to hear it, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. But um, just while we were preaching, while we were singing, and I heard that song, um, Happy day, forever I am changed. And uh, man, we sing that song, and I just thought, I thought of the Apostle Paul. And uh, there's that story in Acts 9, which is the famous account of Paul's, and we'll, we'll get to Scripture now, don't worry. But uh, it, it's, it's Paul's journey to Damascus. And it says at the beginning of Acts 9 that Paul was breathing murderous thoughts about Christians. Now, it doesn't take much of imagination to know that if you're, if you're thinking murderous thoughts about someone, and then you think about what Jesus says in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, that even if you think something in your mind, it's as much as you've committed murder, or you've done that act. And Paul is thinking these things about Christians, and he's going to persecute them, which means he's going to arrest them, put them in jail, and in all likelihood, some of them would die. Now, could we all agree that Paul at this point is not pro-Christian? He's very anti-Christian. <laughs> and he's very vocal about it. In fact, he stands there while Stephen is stoned and holds the coats, endorsing a bunch of men throwing stones at another man until he dies. So in some sense, he's culpable, right? He, he's, 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 he's been an accessory to murder. Paul. The Apostle Paul, and then he, he's riding his horse on the road to Damascus, ready to go to that town to persecute the Christians. And, and as he's riding his horse, a great light appears to him. 
and he is struck off his horse. And it says that, that God speaks to him, but only he can hear it. And then to those around him, it sounded like the sound of thunder. Now, Paul is struck off his horse. Now, I don't know if you've, if you've been on a horse before. I'm personally terrified of horses. I don't like them at all. I find them, they're just horses. I mean, I went against donkeys a while ago as well. But now, let me just say, donkeys are weird, okay? But horses are frightening. They are intimidating. I'm like, this is not a domestic animal. Like, let them run. Because, anyway, I'm going a sidetrack. But Paul's on this horse, okay? And it's probably an amazing horse, and he falls off. And if you're falling off a horse, you're falling. I mean, maybe that's a bit big. How big a horse is? Yeah, that, like that, that's quite high, right? He's falling to the ground, and, he's, and as he's falling, this light is blinding him so much that his eyes have got scales over them. You kind of think that this light was so bright that it formed maybe a cataract over his eyes. He's blinded. He falls to the ground. And the voice says to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus speaks to Paul in that moment. And I don't know about you, but when I, when, I, when I was singing that song, if Paul had sung that song, don't you think that at that moment, forever I am changed. Paul's going, I was radically changed. I was knocked off my horse. And a bright and God, and Jesus spoke to me. Now, and then we sing that song, forever I am changed. Well, do you know what? Your conversion experience is no different to Paul's. Because exactly the same thing happened. That you were anti-God, you were dead in your sin and your transgressions, and you were brought back to life. In fact, you became a new creation. Now, when you sing those songs, forever I am changed. Because of what Jesus did for me. And Paul might have had this experience, but my heart was, was taken from a heart of stone and turned into a heart of flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but that is miraculous. I didn't have an experience of falling off a horse, but I remember when I was seven years old, <laughs> standing in a church where my parents were in, and it was, it was quite weird. It was very Pentecostal. And... Uh, I saw some wild stuff when I was young, man. Like the Pentecostal church is tame in comparison to what I witnessed. But anyway, but I remember at that age going, Jesus, I, I want to believe. This is what, this is, I believe this. I believe this. And I remember going to school the next day, seven years old in Sabi, no Sabe, whatever, great R. And my best friend, Dwayne, he was like this cool dude, the surfer, blonde hair. And we were like good mates. And then I remember like, I remember sitting with Dwayne and actually saying, hey, Dwayne, can I speak to you? Like, <laughs> like it's so awkward for a six-year-old. Like, hey, bro, can I? And like, it's a break. So you're like, yeah, break. Ah. Like kicking balls and like breaking stuff. Uh, and we sat, I remember sitting in this little window thing at the school. And I was like, Dwayne, do you know that Jesus loves you? And Dwayne was just like, I don't really care. Like, like he just ran off. You know? He's like, but at that young age, I'd realized that something had changed, that Jesus had done something in my heart. And that was the beginning. And I want to go to that scripture in Acts 9 where it talks about, I've given you a bit of a backstory of Paul's, um, Paul's conversion. And then it says this. It says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son. Actually, can you go back to 19? Anyway, it doesn't, it's fine, so don't worry about it. 
And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, listen to this, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now that happens in one chapter of the book of Acts. Paul is at one minute breathing these murderous thoughts and and, and accusations against Christians. The next minute he is proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. It's, it is radical. I don't know if you remember, when I was younger, there was a guy called Carmen. Who remembers Carmen when you were younger Christians? Yeah. He had this song called Radically Saved. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was a classic song. Because the guy's like, I've been radically saved. And I was like, yeah. When, when you're 10, you're like, yeah. And um, I actually went to go watch Carmen once at um, the Good Hope Center. And that was pretty cool. Because I was young and Carmen was rad. But... <laughs> But, there, but there's something about this, and just as I was in worship, I was like, how many of us have started this race with zeal and enthusiasm? We start, and I remember being a young Christian, I remember coming back to the Lord after many years of, of being lost and backslidden and just drugs and everything, coming back to the Lord, and then again, that same zeal of like, oh my word, like, what has Jesus done for me? Like, I knew him when I was younger. I walked away. I did everything I could possibly do to get away. And he draws me back through the most crazy situation. And he finds me again. And he, he brings me back. And again, the zeal is, is, it, is, it comes up inside of me again when I'm 18, 19 years old. I was just like, this is insane. Like, I've got to tell everyone about Jesus. How many of us have had that experience? When we were newly saved, it's, guys... Getting saved is the most radical thing that will ever happen to you. And I think we've maybe watered it down a little bit to just accept Jesus as a relationship and, you'll, and he'll, he'll be this cool guy helps you. And he does. <laughs> but the gospel's changed to this thing of like, Jesus is just, he's cool and just come to him and you'll never be alone. I'm like, no, he saved you from death and he's brought you into life. That is a radical change. It's not just this fun little story of you need a big friend in the sky. Or you need someone who can give you money when you want it. And he can. (laughs) And sometimes he does. He gives the turners money in DVD cases. It's just, it's crazy. But as I I read the scripture, I'm just, I was so captured by how Paul begins his race. And how all of us, most of us, begin our race with this passion and zeal and just going, he is Jesus, the Son of God. And you just want to tell people, like, do you, do you understand? Like, I've had a revelation of who God is. And they're going like, yo, man, God, yeah. There's many gods. I'm like, no, no, no. There's one God. <laughs> and he's amazing. Like, and then as we were singing that song, I just... Then I'm thinking like, I had this thought in the week, and it was quite a, quite a weird thought. It's like, I don't know, I have lots of thoughts like this, not, not all the time. <laughs> but I thought like, if I had to ask Christians, how would your life change 
if you didn't have Jesus in your life at this moment? What would be different? I mean, it's a weird question. Eh? And I asked myself that question. I was like, what would be different? How would I respond differently? I mean, let's just hypothetically say that there was a glitch in the matrix and suddenly none of us were Christians. Would we, would we even miss anything about it? I'm just asking. Because as we saw in the prayer meeting, there, there's something about how we approach this thing is not just a thing of, oh, it's comfortable and what I, it's what I've got used to. Because Paul started there, like many of us do. And I think sometimes what happens, and I'm including myself in this, so don't feel like I'm judging anyone, but we go along, and from a 19-year-old to a 45-year-old, 50, 60, 70, maybe we just start to kind of cool off. Uh, I was, I often do say, I was so zealous when I was a young Christian. <sighs> the good old days. <laughs> you know, I was so zealous. I was just witnessing to everyone. <laughs> and uh, I had to ask myself that question. I'm like, if I, I'm seeing people who don't know Jesus and there's something wrong in me, where I'm not being stirred enough with compassion enough to want to tell them about Jesus. Again, maybe it's just me. <laughs> and then I, I'm, I'm standing in the prayer meeting again and I'm, I'm seeing older people of the faith who've walked this journey out, who are years ahead of me and who are still just as passionate about Jesus as the day they started. When, when, when there's people like, and I'm going to point people like Keith and Jean and Ronwin and people who've walked the walk and haven't always had an easy walk with Jesus, but they've walked it out and there's nothing that has dampened their zeal or enthusiasm for the gospel and for reaching people for Christ. I remember my, fa my, fa my late father-in-law in hospital with cancer the one message, I could pretty find it on my phone, messaging me going, I told the nurse about Jesus, and she knows Jesus. <laughs> it didn't matter that she knew Jesus. What matters is that he still wanted to tell her about Jesus. <laughs> and that challenged me. I was like, flop. <laughs> I'm not even telling my barber about Jesus. And I see him regularly. <laughs> you know? We start with zeal, and it's amazing, and then we have these incredible encounters with Jesus, and I, I'm, I'm worried that sometimes for us, we, we just get like, we're just going to go to church again, and the same thing's going to happen it did last week. And I, I fear that that would be the case in this congregation. I honestly do. Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing against structure. I totally get it. I'm not going to be rolling around on the floors every week and like... Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> All the Pentecostals are like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> and of course, there's room for that. But the, you know, of course, there's the Word and the Spirit, of course, together. Yes, I love the Word of God. We have to be preaching the Word of God. And we look at this again, and then we go to, uh, we look at the life of Paul, and then we go to the Scripture, which is one of my favorite Scriptures in the Bible, which is in 2 Timothy 4. Now, this is the same person who, who was so radically changed from darkness and brought into light. And then as he's coming to the end of his journey on this life and he's saying goodbye to, 
to fellow Christians. I think it's nine to 12, 14. Sorry, I've put Rod on the spot here. I gave him all my scriptures in the beginning and then I changed them all during worship. <laughs> oh, no, 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 let's go back. Let's go. Um, no, uh, let's go. Four, four, four. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 okay, cool, 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 okay. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> if you know it, if you get it, you get it. Anyway, <laughs> I don't want to shout out any uh, TV programs while I'm preaching. So, so this is the same Paul who, who, who lives out his life as a, as a zealous evangelist for Christ, right? He is he's persecuted, and we all have our own stories. I'm not saying we're all going to have the same experiences as Paul. We all live out our own journeys, and, and Paul goes through this life, and he says this. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. And I love this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That scripture inspires me because I want to get to the end of my race and go, I've kept the faith. Now, Jesus says, when I return, will I even find faith on the earth? But my encouragement to you and to me is to, can we finish this race the same way that we started it? Because in the Christian walk, we have power through the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, you think, how can you finish the race the same way you started it? I used the Comrades Marathon a few weeks ago as an example, right? And I love the Comrades because they all start off like, yeah, Comrades. And then they get to Cowards. They're like, this Comrade sucks. I hate it. And then, and then they're walking. And then at the end of the finish line, one guy's like this. He's like, I need to get over the line. <laughs> Like, there's always one oak who's being dragged over the line. And it's cool, right? Like, sure, that was quite an illustration. That's for sure. <laughs> but as Christians, I don't think we are actually going to be crawling over the finish line. Because Paul certainly wasn't crawling over any finish line. Just as, we've, as, you, as you look through his life in the book, he wasn't, he wasn't going like, oh, please, Jesus, come back. I'm done. He's like, I've finished the race. And he knows without a shadow of a doubt that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for him when he sees the Father. Now, there's something about that which there's confidence in the race that he has run. He hasn't got to the end of the race and gone, well, I could have done better and maybe there will be a crown of righteousness for me when I see the Father. Or maybe my, my name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Paul started his race. He ran his race. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he finished his race well. 
and he records his race for us in Scripture so that we here in 2022 can look at his example and go, by the grace of God, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, if I don't feel like getting up today and running the race, I can still appeal to God and go, Jesus, help me today. And he will. And there's sometimes in your race when maybe, and I said this before, you don't run maybe the way you did yesterday. But you keep running. And you keep going. And you keep asking Jesus to stir your heart up for more of the things of God. And Jesus, why aren't I witnessing to more people? Jesus, why haven't I told my barber about Jesus? Why haven't I told my neighbor? Why haven't I invited my neighbor? I'm literally talking to myself now, so you can hear, you can hear my internal monologue. All these things that, are, that I think through, and like, why haven't I done them? Because I've been radically saved. Now, when did I go from being radically saved to being nominally saved? Or mediocrishly saved? To lukewarm saved? To cold, indifferent, I just go to church because that's what I do on a Sunday? To am I going to finish the race? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Church, there's a fight that we need to fight. Every day. As Christians, we, we are called to be soldiers for Christ. And he tells us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. And he still calls us to run the race with the full armor of God on so that's what I wanted to share um, my sermon can wait for I'll probably never preach it so it's fine don't worry about it <laughs> it obviously wasn't that good anyway Jesus was like nah <laughs> I, yes I want to encourage us church and uh, we always talk about it, and Kim came and she, she gave a word for us as a church to go like, the enemy has been roaring, are we, are we roaring back? Because as a church who are just going through the motions, no church that goes through the motions is ever going to scare anyone, let alone any kind of principality or power. <laughs> In fact, I think what Rosie and Clarny had both come and shared was a thing of distraction. It's a big thing. How distracted can you be in worship? Very distracted. You know? Something doesn't, ah, doesn't go right. Ah, like, I wish we had a bigger band. Like, I don't know. Like, we should be worshiping without guitars. Doesn't matter. Okay. I don't want to talk for too long. I've got two minutes left. Okay. <laughs> Let me pray in those two minutes and we can end. <sighs> Jesus, we want to be on the same page as you. Father, we don't want to be anywhere that you are not. And we don't want to go forward without your presence. And God, we don't want to just prepare sermons because um, 
it's the right thing to do, or they want to sing songs because it's the right thing to do, or because it's the, the way that you're supposed to do church. But God, we are in a living relationship with a living God. And God, I pray that we as a church would end our race and run our race the same way we started. God, that we wouldn't look back on the, the glory years or what we did before, or think through our heydays of when we were, or become when we's. but we'd become about now. What are you doing now, Father? What are you telling us as a church now? Who do you want us to reach out to now? Who do you want us to pray for now? God, what is your heart now? How do we obey you now? God, I pray that we'd be a church who are radically obedient, Father God. And we'd look back on our conversion experiences just as Paul has his experience on the road to Damascus. We'd each this week look back on that day or that moment when we were transformed from darkness into light, where our lives were changed forever. And Father God, we'd realize what has happened in our lives, that this is just not something that is um, a nice thing that's happened, but it's a radical thing that's happened. And God, that our lives are changed forever. Oh, we thank you for that, Father.